today, I'm going to be doing something that I thought was pretty interesting. I am a big fan of Twitter. I get a lot of my news from there. I get a lot of ideas from there. I get a lot of education from there. And sometimes I think it's cool to kind of extrapolate those things into dentistry. So my name is Dr. Peter Bolden. I am part of a co-host with Dr. Craig Spodak for the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast. If you don't know of us and you're watching this maybe on YouTube, together he and I educate and mentor dentists through the pathway of becoming kind of what we call bulletproof through owning our own practices and sharing our experiences and things um, throughout the process. So anyway, I'm going to jump into this. Um, because I think it's pretty fascinating. And this is going to be kind of some short little case studies, if you will, on the psychology of how people spend money and how big companies, you know, like Ikea's, which is going to be the first one, Starbucks, things like that, how they use psychological tricks and tactics to help encourage people to spend. So with that, though, obviously, this is just going to become a, a business education, just kind of learning things. But I think there's also value in learning this from extrapolation, like I said, into dentistry. And there's not going to be a direct analog. I should do this because Ikea does this, but you can start thinking about how things would apply in your practice potentially. All right. So this is a guy I follow. Um, his name is Trung Phan. I guess that's how you pronounce his last name. If, I, if I'm wrong, I apologize. Um, this thread was actually written back in 2021. And the interesting thing here is he basically said, I've been writing threads on, on how the world's largest companies, Apple, Starbucks, Ikea, use psychological hacks to get people to spend money. So I'm going to dig into the first one because it's going to talk about Ikea, which at first I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do the Ikea one, but it was pretty good. So we're going to jump into this thread. So Ikea, as most of you know, is famous for the world's largest furniture brand. Uh, sales are 50 billion. It's the king of buy stuff you never plan to buy. Um, and there's some quirks and kinks about why Ikea is the way it is, but there's a method to the madness. There's a reason that it's like this. So I'm going to start going through some of the things. And then as I see something that's applicable for dentistry, or just something that we should maybe learn or expound on, I will kind of put a pause in that. So the first thing he looks at when he talks about this is he says that business model is self-furniture that requires self-assembly. And you may think to yourself, like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would someone want to do that? But what they found is that a Harvard study found that people assign a higher value to furniture that they assembled themselves or goods that they assembled themselves. And, and the name of this has become the Ikea effect, right? The Ikea effect is if, if I make it, I love it more. Obviously, that doesn't apply to dentistry, but I think it's pretty interesting, right? Because people grumble. You hear people grumbling about the size of the box of Ikea, trip home, and really we're assigning psychological value to that because once we got it home and once we assembled it, it's this, it's this accomplishment. All right, number two. The locations. So any of you who have Ikea in your town, you also know that like getting there requires massive amounts of effort going through traffic. It is not in the most uh, convenient places um, because A, the, the size of the store really has to be outside of kind of metro areas. Um, so once a shopper arrives after a long trek, they're going to be motivated to buy something so as to not to waste the trip. And I think that's interesting. Um, you know, and again, I'm not sure this one applies to dentistry because obviously dentistry is a service-based industry. It's based on convenience and you want to put things as close to people, um, because you don't, can, you don't think of like, oh, I had to drive so far to the dentist. Therefore I'm going to get more dentistry done. I don't think that applies. I think the actually the converse applies. You want to be more convenient because that reduces the friction as we've talked about before, reduces the friction for 
um, getting people to become on a recurring basis. Right. And dentistry, I think is kind of a subscription thing, meaning that like it, a lot of our goodwill is based on the fact that we know people will be coming every six months, every three months, every year, whatever it may be. <clears throat> so I, I see why they've established their massive mega centers here. If you're looking on YouTube, um, massive centers far away from town because people look at it as this destination, this journey. And once I've arrived, I'm going to spend some money. All right. The next thing is the store flow. So the effort, the effort that Ikea wants you to keep consuming as you're spending your own money is interesting. And you walk through the showroom and any one of us who have been to Ikea, it's literally a maze. You're going through things and you're actually, it's an arduous journey. You're going through things all the way to the end in order to pick up your, your, uh, your goods or your boxes. It's not even your goods. It's your, it's your unassembled furniture. And again, this is something that, that you feel a reward for because you've done this journey through the labyrinth. Um, interesting. The next kind of is correlated to this pretty well is that you see that Ikea is like a maze and it's a popular theme. You see that, uh, uh, sorry, popular meme. You see it on the internet. Uh, but it's true that you, you know, you'd almost get lost in an Ikea. Um, and there's really, there's really not that many exits and shortcuts. There's a couple, if you kind of look at it, but basically they put, they put uh, arrows on the floor to make sure that you're following through the maze in which they intend, intended to you to do so. And again, this effort uh, increases the perception. If you see here, this, this the, the effort of solving the maze, right? Going through this journey, it solves increases the perception of value fascinating to me this is fascinating all right i talked of it number five is the guided arrow so this maze-like design is complemented by the floor arrows so essentially you're basically telling the consumer what you want them to do and you're handing over you as the consumer you're handing over your decision making um, process over to ikea so what, the, what they're saying by this is this psychologically disarms and primes you for a later purchase. This was going to be a hard turn into dentistry, but I think the same thing applies when, you know, we talk about analysis as paralysis. I think the same thing applies when you're kind of looking at treatment plannings, treatment plan presentation. And we're not putting arrows and saying, just do this, because that doesn't psychologically arm someone or disarm someone. It makes them think like, well, that's the only choice I got. But what you don't want to do is create a bunch of metaphorical arrows in your treatment planning and say, well, you could do this and this and this. Maybe it's a bifurcated thing where it's like, this way you could go, it's going to have this consequence. This way you're going to go, it's going to have this benefit and consequence. Um, that's, my, that's my best extrapolation. But that's what I was thinking about when I saw the arrows. Because, you know, quote unquote, people don't want to be told what to do, but they really do. Meaning it's disarming to know that they are following the arrow, following the path in which they were designed to do so. Right. Um, and the same thing can be had when you go into a dental office, meaning that like they know that you are the expert in, in what they should have. You live and breathe dentistry. You've gone to all these years of schooling. So it's disarming to, to them to say like, okay, just kind of tell me what I should do. Tell me what I would do if you were, uh, if I was your mother, if I was your sister, if I was your brother, whatever it may be. Okay. Keep moving forward. Number six. The desensitizing environment, okay? So what it's saying here is like casinos, right, who which have no windows 
and uh, and they, you know, and they, you know, there's word on the street that they pump in oxygen to make you feel better, and they serve you free drinks. IKEA is kind of the same way. There's no windows in there, so you kind of lose track of all sense and space and time, and you stay focused on the idea of going through your maze, getting that acknowledgement and that uh, that dopamine hit of, of finishing the maze, in order to buy your product later. Okay. Also, they put number seven is they have a license to impulse buy. They're placing small items everywhere next to the big ticket items. There's some plates, um, a lot of stuff that you just don't need, but you're thinking, oh, this is pretty cool. At least I can buy it now on my journey. Um, so I'm not sure how many of you have products that you sell in your office, but it might be good to have displays, even from a decoration standpoint, kind of throughout your office so that people either are waiting in, waiting in the reception area or they're waiting in the back to be checked out or whatever it may be. There's areas where they can say, huh, I can do that. Maybe it's in every operatory, right? Maybe you sell certain uh, high-end high -end toothpaste or something like that. That's a good place to have it. I'm going to continue on. So number eight he has down is writing down a list. So if you've been to Ikea, you know that you get a pen, you get a pencil, a golf pencil, and you start on your journey, right? You put your, you put your backpack on and you start through the maze. And so here's what I think is so interesting. And I talk about this all the time in goal setting. So they give you, could they, could they put this in an app, make it really easy for you? hundred percent, right? It's a $50 billion company, but they're using the psychological tactic of getting you to write it down. So it's a, it's in the, and the act of writing it down creates accountability to yourself, especially in your own handwriting. That's why I always talk about it in terms of like your goal setting and things like that is that, um, it creates accountability when you see it in your own hand versus like you type it out on a monitor or you're using an app. It's easy to say like, oh, that's just, that's just regular text. Like it doesn't, that doesn't resonate with me because it's not my own handwriting. You can, you can recognize your own handwriting and it creates this accountability. So when you're goal setting, um, you want to create this follow through. It's, it's kind of the same, re one of the same reasons I think when, when uh, there's a, there's some school of thought to having people fill out their own appointment reminder cards that come in the mail. I mean, I know that's, We've gotten away from that in this technological era, but that was the that was the the thesis of why that was done is that you will see this come in the mail and you will recognize your own handwriting as as a appointment reminder, which then creates this accountability that oh yeah I remember being there I remember writing this down I remember remember saying I would do it versus now I know we have the appointment era where everything is text through or there's reminders or emails and things like that. But I think that was original the idea, the psychological tactic that of, of reporting reminders and getting people to, to fill out their own reminders. Um, number nine is their in-store dining. And uh, the founder, um, I guess they are, a Nor I think they're a Norwegian company or Swedish company, but I won't slaughter his, the founder's name, but he basically says, you can't do business on an empty stomach. Um, you know, so basically if someone is full and satiated and um, comfortable there, and they know they can get a meal, that they are going to stay longer. They're going to stay longer, or they're going to talk about their potential purchases, and therefore that usually yields a bigger uh, purchase size. Um, as a side note, it's crazy. I read this statistic. IKEA sells 1 billion meatballs a year. What? All right, and the last one, the last one, I think this is the last one, is that there is great value. So Ikea has this democratic design approach. 
right? It, it takes the, it has this, their engineers are fascinating is they take the, the, uh, the product and they make sure that it's kind of designed to fit in the box, right? Like how many of us have left Ikea with all this stuff flat packed where it can actually fit on top of a, a mini Cooper potentially. Um, and the other tactic with that is that it creates this, again, we talked about it in, the, in one of the first psychological uh, tactics is that it creates value because you're going home and, and, and jumping into actually making your stuff, right? Which assigns value to it. Um, but for their standpoint, right? The self-assembly reduces cost and the price of their manufacturing. So everybody is winning from that, from that tactic of let's flat, flat, flat pack everything. I don't know why I'm stumbling over my words today. All right. So here, number 11 is, I was wrong. There's more than 10. Number 11 is something that I think would apply to dentistry as a small little tactic in our offices. So they have mirrors everywhere. Mirrors, mirrors, cheap mirrors, lit mirrors, if you can see from this picture. So it's no secret why this thread says it's like we're all narcissists and we can't keep our eyes off the reflections of dun, 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 ourselves. So IKEA brings out all these positive emotions by placing mirrors literally everywhere so that people can see something that they like, which is them. Um, I think that applies to dentistry too, right? Lots of mirrors um, would be a good thing in there, whether it's a checkout mirror, whether it's a goodbye mirror, you know, you, when, when someone's leaving after they've had impressions or things like that. But mirrors are, mirrors are awesome for that tactic and they reflect a lot of natural light. So mirrors may be something. If you're lacking design in your office, maybe putting up something as simple as mirrors could psychologically increase uh, the well-being, the, the positive emotion that patients feel in your office. Who knows? It's an easy, it's an, uh, it's an easy thing to test, that's for sure. All right, and then finally, the power of smell. And I think this does apply to dentistry. Maybe not so much as, as their example of their famous cinnamon buns that they sell for a dollar that they place at checkout, but smell is an extremely powerful um, memory recall for people. So much so, like um, many of you know Chris Tuff, who's a, who's a good friend of mine. He actually buys, he, he's into the, the science of, of memory recollection by smell. And it's pretty strong. And he's, he's a big fan of this. So he, he has candles designed to kind of remember certain instances in his life. So that being said, there may be, maybe, maybe your practice could have, a, if, if it's not its own custom fragrance, maybe it's something that is unique enough that you know, like these are our ABC dental scented towels, right? And so maybe it's at the end, maybe it's a hot scented towel at the end of the procedure that signifies the, uh, the value that they went through, the journey that they went through, right? I think that's why airplanes give hot towels. I think that's why that things are scented. Um, but especially in dentistry, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a stigma associated with eugenol in dentistry and people have this visceral response people who grew up in dentistry and had bad associations in dentistry had this visceral response to the smell of eugenol because they remembered the pain that they had in old school dentistry potentially or pain that they had in their childhood now we don't use that as much but people still talk to me in my common uh, my everyday my everyday life about oh the, the smell of the dental office because they're remembering it from their their childhood so the memory recall of smell is super powerful so you want to combat that with having your office smell the anti-eugenol, right? Something that smells more like a spa or something that is pleasant. 
right? Whether it's lavender or eucalyptus, things like that. Maybe there's your own signature scent. I don't know. But the point is, is that it's a powerful recall, especially if they've had a good appointment, one that they, you know, they felt like they accomplished a lot, did a lot of quadrant dentistry or maybe a cosmetic procedure. At the end, the memory recollection can be something associated with your practice on that. So I think that is an extrapolation of something into dentistry. And that's it. So I'm going to keep going into the secrets of some of these, keep breaking down the companies, mainly because I think it's it's truly fascinating. If nothing else, if, if there's no, if there's no segue into dentistry, like we're all learning some things, but I think eventually, um, eventually we're going to keep picking apart things that may, may augment or help our experience and our practice. And at the end of the day, I think that's the great differentiation in dentistry is the experience you give someone, right? The value creating your practice of them being a patient. That is, that is the great differentiation in my opinion. So we'll see everyone next time. Take it easy. Yeah.